Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you're here with us for worship this morning. As the Hub City Church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining our serve teams, community groups, or men's and women's ministries, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word HUBCITY to 97000, and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. We hope you'll make plans to join us for a night of worship on Sunday, January 28th at 530. This will be a great time to sing our praises and lift our prayers to the Lord corporately as we push through the final week of our 21-day fast. This will be in lieu of community groups. Our 2024 vision meeting will be held on Sunday, February 4th, directly following the service. This will be our first family business meeting of the year as we celebrate what the Lord did among us in 2023 and look ahead to our direction and goals as a body for 2024. The Lord has been so faithful in continuing to grow our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep in seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Well, hey, good morning again, guys. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor at the Hub City Church. And again, uh, on behalf of our church family, we're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning. Uh, I just have a few announcements and then we'll get to the word here. Uh, really, it's all kind of in this one category that our, our winter schedule is, is rolling here. Community groups have started. Men's, and, uh, sorry, men's ministry started this week. Women's ministry will start uh, this upcoming week here, this coming Wednesday. Um, and we have, yes, woohoo, ladies. All right. <laughs> okay, that got weird fast. Um, anyway, uh, we're also in the midst of a 21-day uh, fast. If you didn't know about that, you can access that on our um, social media pages as well as our Church Center app, and you can join us in that. Even if you're a little late, that's okay. Jump in. Uh, we've got a lot going on, and we do hope you'll join us in it. Uh, uh, we also have a, a night of worship coming up on Sunday, January 28th. Uh, which our band always, well, our band always does an awesome job, but they do a great job of leading us through the time of uh, extended uh, worship through singing and, and prayer. Uh, so we hope you'll make plans to attend that uh, Sunday, January 28th at 5.30 p.m. Is that what it says on the screen? Yes, okay, 5.30, okay. Woo, got it, okay. And uh, also uh, Sunday, February the 4th, we'll have our first business meeting of the year. Where, uh, we call that our, our vision meeting because it's where we talk about uh, what we believe the Lord is saying uh, we should be focused on as a church family this year. We'll discuss our, uh, our five-year goals, how we're tracking on those, how we, can, how we think we can improve, and so forth. And uh, lunch will be provided, as well as child care for uh, our, our younger kids uh, during that time. All right, So make plans to be there uh, if you're a member or if you're wanting to become a member. Uh, we want our church always to have uh, a participatory culture, as uh, Matt Davidson said last week in his offering talk. I really appreciated that. Uh, maybe a business meeting doesn't sound uh, like fun, but it is an opportunity. Ours are kind of fun, I think. But it is an opportunity um, to be tracking with just the kingdom business of the church so that you can be in the know uh, and be praying and striving together with, uh, in the same direction with your church family. Uh, and speaking of becoming or being a member or not being a member yet, uh, to all my friends who are asking how and, and when they can make their membership official, please 
accept my sincerest apologies on that. With everything going on at the end of last year, we just weren't able to squeeze in our membership process uh, like we wanted to. However, shortly after our business meeting at the beginning of February, we'll be looking ahead to our spring schedule, and I do promise you the membership process will be uh, my number one item uh, of priority, okay? So again, my apologies. Uh, I did see the prayer request on the board in the lobby about Pastor Tad letting people become members, and so I will... I will I'll get him. I'll get on board with that. I'll, uh, I'll, I know my part of the answer of that prayer, so I'll, I'll try my best to do that soon. Uh, the last thing is we are ordering uh, new T-shirts. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently this time, though, uh, than we have in the past. We're doing an order form through the company who makes our T-shirts um, so that we know what everyone wants uh, ahead of time on the front end, and then we're going to order exactly that. Uh, we hate guessing on sizes and then being left with a box of shirts that... Uh, no one in sizes no one wants or needs. So make sure uh, if you would like a new shirt this year um, for outreaches or just to rep your church you know, around town or whatever, you can uh, put your order in uh, before the end of January. The order form, again, is on social media and the app. It will close. The order form will close on January 30th, and we'll place the order for whatever we wanted. Okay, so, um, and uh, guys, I should mention this, um, men... Last week, some ladies did uh, get on to me. They complained to me about the shirts. Uh, they said they were too masculine, okay? <laughs> and so they insisted that we add a girly color so that, uh, anyway, so that they could have shirts that they would love, too. So we did do that, but uh, men, be manly and get one of the other shirts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, or there's a violet option, you know? If you, if you want that, you can get it. It's unisex. So, <laughs> um, Anyway, there's also been a demand for new hats. We do have those. That are, they're in. You can see them in the lobby if you want to pick one up on your way out. So, All right. Well, we are currently midway through our first teaching series of the year. Therefore, it's a series on the basic measures of a gospel-centered disciple. And uh, uh, here's, here's the gist. In our vision statements, we have a list of uh, six what we call missional measures. We think that if you are a disciple who is committed to making more disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey God's word, essentially these are six things that uh, you will do, like as a result of your faith in Christ. The word therefore, or some variation of it, is used hundreds of times in Scripture, and it basically functions like a bridge, uh, like a literary bridge between a particular truth and the appropriate response to that truth. Our six missional measures are backed up. Uh, by these therefores of Scripture, and in this series, it's my attempt to show that to you, and therefore encourage you, if you're a Christian, to be faithful to do them. Uh, the first week, we talked about being committed to community. Last week, we talked about serving our church body consistently, and today, we'll be discussing giving cheerfully and regularly to the mission. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll get into it. Father, God, thank you for who you are, that though you are the sovereign creator God of the universe, you are mindful of us, and you have been so incredibly gracious to us. Lord, we affirm that all of the good gifts, every comfort, every joy, every pleasure of this life has come down to us from you and your kindness. But most of all, the, the pinnacle and the source of all of your grace toward sinners. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. If not for him, Lord, not a soul among us would be here worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So thank you, God, for the gospel. I pray this morning that we would um, just see so clearly how as people who claim the name of Christ, we ought to be increasingly generous people, particularly people who are generous for the sake of your mission of seeking and saving the lost. God, for that mission to go forward, the mission of uh, your kingdom's advancement. Lord, I know well that people in our culture often have a hard time being told uh, what to do with their money, so I pray that no one here would think that I am insisting that they give their money to our church, but that they might see that if they are truly believers, Giving cheerfully and regularly is something the gospel clearly implies and that the New Testament outlines. And with this understanding, Lord, we continue to strive to be a generous church family because we 
so love our Savior, and we desire for others to know him as well. Pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, hey, as I'm sure you know, it is uh, kind of a, a general stereotype for church people that uh, they're good with sermons on a lot of big, challenging topics. Hell, or predestination, or sex, you know. But when the pastor starts talking about money, in particular how they should be giving it, there's suddenly an uneasiness in the room. Well, today is the day, friends. Okay, uh, okay. Um, I'm being a little silly because that really hasn't been much of an issue to this point for our church, praise be to God. But um, I'll never forget years ago, when I was just getting into ministry, a friend of mine who was another uh, young leader in the church told me about a tough discipleship conversation he had to have with a guy. Uh, They'd been walking together for a little while and had finally gotten to the topic of generosity. This guy had been attending for a while, and uh, he said... Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. I love to be generous to the church with my time. (laughs) So my friend, who is now a dear brother pastor as well at another church down the road, he said, well, uh, yeah, absolutely, we should be generous with our time, uh, through our service of one another, but also with our money, right? And immediately this guy's demeanor changed as he adamantly disagreed, insisting that generosity with his time was sufficient and that he was good to just keep his money to himself. And unfortunately, as a result, he did decide that, you know, we weren't the church uh, for them. And while we hated to see him and his family go elsewhere, if that was going to be his stance, then, you know, we would have to agree to disagree and encourage him to find a church where a lack of financial generosity was acceptable. Um, Not because we're a church who just loves to talk about money all the time. But you see, because Jesus talks a lot about money and our relation to it. Like if you go through and and total it up, maybe you know this, Jesus talks a surprising amount about how his disciples ought to deal with their earthly possessions. And so um, as someone who is... Um, accountable to God regarding money, as well as someone who has to teach on this topic. I've had to wrestle with why Jesus brings it up so much. And uh, I think if I had to just say it simply, I would say this. I think uh, nothing quite touches the nerve of our desire for a facade of personal sovereignty, like spiritual conversations about money. In other words, we often talk about how human sin, deep down, uh, is a way of wanting and, and acting like we can be our own God, right? And money is one of the most important factors to people who want to be their own God or have a sense of personal sovereignty, right? Be the captain of their own destiny, if you if you will. You see, God, the the real, the one real God, doesn't need money. He speaks the things he wants into existence. But we can't do that. (laughs) And so in order to have all the things that our flesh desires, typically money is the necessary component to make that happen. And so people who don't really love God. They tend to not want to part ways with their money. They certainly don't want to just give it away, right? So understanding this, Jesus says, perhaps uh, most famously, he says, where your treasure is, there your, what? Heart. Everyone knows this, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Translation, how we allocate our financial resources reveals what our heart is really treasures. We all, every one of us, Jesus says, we give our money to the things that we love. And so I just needed to establish that before we moved on because um, that's, that's the basic foundation here for everything else. This foundational truth is going to play a huge role in how I will advise you this morning regarding uh, your giving or not giving. I will ultimately advise some to not give, but we'll 
We'll get to that at the end, okay? First, we need a therefore, right? And this morning, I'm going to use what I'm going to call uh, a reverse therefore. As I said at the start, uh, and as we've seen each week so far, usually uh, we see this structure. ABC is true, therefore... You should do one, two, three as the appropriate response, right? But here's the reverse. <laughs> you should do one, two, three because ABC or four, ABC is true. Same principle, same bridge between truth and response, just reversed. And when it comes specifically to financial giving as Christians, the most famous therefore or reverse therefore uh, comes to us in 2 Corinthians. Paul is telling Uh, The Corinthian Christians, that the churches in Macedonia, though they had been enduring extreme poverty, their joy in the gospel had still led them to be generous in their giving for the mission of the church. And then uh, Paul says to the Corinthians uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, it says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, In our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Talking about generosity. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich." And now, to show you that it works just like a regular, therefore, let's actually do something different. Let's read 2 Corinthians 8, uh, and we'll start with verse 9, then we'll read 7 and 8. So if you read it backwards, you may be saying, you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this Not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So hopefully this has been a helpful Bible reading exercise because uh, as you read the New Testament epistles, you are going to see that the authors are constantly doing this, connecting truths to their appropriate responses that uh, we, Jesus' church, might not only do what Christians do, but also so that we might do these things with the right motivation. Okay, you see, because why we do something is often as important as doing it at all, right? We see most poignantly, maybe from the, from the Pharisees, someone is capable of going through many religious motions that look good externally when in fact they're doing them for a less than godly reason, perhaps even a, a self-centered reason, a self righteous reason to be seen or to be thought highly of by others, which is not the reason we should give our money to the mission of the church. But anyway, that's for free. Uh, here's the, no pun intended, here's the reason we, we read, that we read that Christians give their money to the mission of the church. Verse 9, again, it's just so, so good. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here's my paraphrase. Christians give generously to the mission of Jesus' church because Jesus graciously gave everything that they might be adopted into it. Reading this week in John 17, as I moved through our prayer and fasting guide, and I was struck by these verses in Jesus' prayer. He's praying to God the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. He says, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow. Wow. I just stopped and wrote, wow, only the eternal God speaks like that. Jesus is now in glory and being glorified by the church who was formed because of his sacrifice. But John 17 
makes it abundantly clear. Jesus did not come to save us because he was lacking in glory beforehand. He wasn't running low on glory and decided to come so he could get what he didn't yet have. He already was eternally glorious, rightfully alongside God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He was already the king of glory. His incarnation didn't make him the king. It was just revealed that he was the king, and it graciously afforded us the opportunity to recognize it and glory in it with him. Okay? In other words, Jesus was rich, <laughs> which, trying to think through all that, it's just you realize it's such a human term, because the level of wealth that must be had by the infinite God in the heavens who, who does all that he pleases, I mean, it just doesn't feel like we have a sufficient human word for it, but whatever it is, it's rich. It's rich. And though he was rich in a way that only God can be rich, in a way that makes Jeff Bezos look like a pauper, right? Makes Elon Musk look like a beggar. Even though Jesus was infinitely, unimaginably, gloriously rich, he entered into human history and he became poor. Became poor. Born, we sang about this, born in a stable, laid as a baby in a, a feeding trough. And for the time of his earthly life and ministry, Jesus did not live as royalty, but as someone in the lowest class. And I find it amazing that he chose to even come before, could have come at any time, but he came before the common luxuries of air conditioning and indoor plumbing. He chose to live as low as humanly possible and to have as little as possible. And then he could have died, you know, just in time and obscurity, but he chose to even die in a lower way than that as a criminal, stripped bare in one of history's most inhumane forms of capital punishment on a Roman cross. He's Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't have to do any of it. And yet, he willingly died, nailed to a cross, gasping for breath, asphyxiating, swallowing blood, in excruciating pain, naked, being mocked and spit on by his own image bearers. And he did all of that in order to absorb the just wrath of God that we deserved. To take the punishment for our sin that separated us from fellowship with God the Father, that we might be given instead the free gift of His righteousness and be adopted into His family as His sons and daughters alongside Christ Himself. (laughs) Are we feeling the gravity of this verse? Though he was rich, he became poor. That by his poverty, we might become rich. Church, we deserve nothing. No thing. Nothing. Apart from divine intervention, we are poor, needy, rebellious sinners who the Bible says all turned our back on God. We don't even deserve the opportunity to breathe his air, to see the beauty of his creation, experience the common graces of human relationship, friendship, and fun, good food. All these things can be had apart from faith in Christ, can't they? My goodness, he has been so merciful to even allow these things. But then while we were still sinners, The scripture says Jesus died for us to to ransom us, to buy us back from our hopeless and helpless state, to step in and 
take us off the crash course for hell that we were on to redeem us and show us the way of flourishing in relationship with him by faith, to offer us eternal life in his presence with no more pain, no more tears, no more brokenness and a new earth without sin. Do we get this, church? Do we understand this incredibly good gospel? Praise God if we do. It's mind-boggling. And we should not only be amazed initially, but we ought to stay amazed. We ought to stay amazed for the rest of our days. The Apostle Paul says, in our amazement, in our deep sense of gratitude, and in our love for Christ, who gave everything for us to be adopted into his church, we willingly give up not just our time, but also our money to see the mission of his kingdom advance with the desire that more and more and more people might be amazed by the good news of the gospel and join us, join us as adopted children of God looking forward to our salvation, eternal life by grace through faith. We strive to be generous because he is generous. And when we're generous toward the church for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission, it reveals our faith to be sincere or genuine. That's what the text says. So that's the big idea. Christians give generously to the mission of Jesus' church because Jesus graciously gave everything that we might be adopted into it. Okay? Very similar to our rationale for serving consistently that we talked about last week. It applies the same this week. We said every instance of a believer in Christ giving up time, energy, and resources for one another is a microcosm of the gospel in action. When we give financially, sacrificing the money we've earned for the sake of others coming to know the gospel, we are to have in mind the sacrifice of Christ for us in the gospel. Which really, I put air quotes on sacrifice. If we're honest, it makes our sacrifice not really ultimately a sacrifice because of our eternal hope, right? We're told that nothing we give is ever wasted or lost because the Lord will repay 100-fold in the life to come. This is why he tells us to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Famous martyred missionary Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave his life for the gospel, its advancement. This is the mindset of those who have the gospel as their motivation behind their giving. But you know, as we touched on earlier, the scriptures really emphasize the heart when we do religious things like giving money to the mission of the church. And uh, if we continue reading in 2 Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul tells us it's not just about the initial motivation behind it. It's also about our disposition. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, you know this. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like how Episcopal pastor um, yesteryear, Robert Rodenmeyer, of the, he was in the early 1900s, he put it very plainly. He said, there are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. I want to. Church, we're expected to give only out of the third category. Thanksgiving, because we want to. Because we want to. And just as with before, it's because of the gospel. Our giving is to be cheerful because... It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, right? I think sometimes we forget how God feels about us, church. So let me remind us, 
He is not up in the heavens, perpetually angry, frustrated with our flaws and our struggles. Yes, I can hear some of you internally. He hates sin. He does. Yes, he hates sin. Yes, he desires that we grow in holiness. Yes, his will for us is our sanctification. Yes, yes, yes. But he is not looking down on us with a furrowed brow. How does John 3.16 go again? For God so tolerated the world that he gave his only son. No, that's not right, is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was both his own glory and his love for us that motivated Jesus to go to the cross and motivated God the Father to allow it, right? They agreed together in eternity past that they so loved. They so loved Amy and Ulysses and Yvette and Steve, right? Jesus so loved you, put your name in there, that he made his way to the cross with joy, with joy. And now that we are in Christ, by faith, God the Father sees us through the lens of Christ's righteousness. And just as he said of Jesus, so too he now says of you, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. We have a cheerful God, friends. We have a cheerful God. He is eternally happy. And thus he desires that the way we carry ourselves in faith be cheerful too. God is not glorified by grumpy Christians, bitter Christians, or by resentful Christians. These are oxymorons. Christians are to be glad. That's not to say there aren't moments of Sadness, right? Moments of righteous anger, what have you. But our prevailing disposition is to be one of gladness. Of gladness. And so when the offering bucket is passed, we shouldn't roll our eyes. We should see it and be grateful for the grace of God who first gave his son out of his great joy and his great love for us. That's the first descriptive piece of this missional measure. We are to give cheerfully because we want to. But there are two pieces to it. Here's the second one. Our giving to the church should also be regular because the need abounds and because the Lord promises to continue blessing those who use their blessings to be a blessing. Let's break that apart, okay? Uh, first, our giving should be regular because the need abounds. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Corinthian Christians, they know of the need for support of the Jerusalem church, and so Paul instructs them this way. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of, each, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So in case you ever wondered why we give an offering talk every single week, there it is in the Bible. Sure, we're not collecting for the Jerusalem church, but we're now collecting for churches all over the world all over the world. The church in Mumbai, the churches all over Southeast Asia and elsewhere, supported by missionaries of the IMB, the International Missions Board, church plants in the state of Florida and all over the U.S., being planted by the North American Mission Board. Also, there are financial needs in our own church, in our own uh, city, the hub city here in our community. The need abounds. Lots of people still need the gospel. David Platt's ministry, Radical, they have a global missions arm called Urgent that has this, sen- this sentence at the, in bold letters at the top of their homepage. It says, 3.2 billion, with a B, 
3.2 billion people in the world are unreached. They will be born, live, and die without knowing the love of Jesus. I've told this story before, but the villages and some of the villages where our friend and fellow pastor Ostrom Kamble is equipping and sending missionaries in India. They're sharing Jesus with thousands of people a year. This is why, man, like our goal is a thousand. So, you know, they're sharing with thousands. And, uh, you know, one time upon hearing the name Jesus, one of these people in this remote village, they said, what is a Jesus? Kind of funny. What is a Jesus? We can't imagine that, can we? We can't imagine that. And yet this is the reality still in many unreached places in the world. We're to give regularly because the mission continues and the need abounds. There's still people saying, what is a Jesus out there? Until Jesus returns and tells us we're finished, the need abounds. But also, we're to give regularly because the Lord promises to continue blessing those who use their blessings to be a blessing. This idea, it's kind of a tongue twister here, but this idea is all over the Bible. Here's just a few places. Let me read them to you. Uh, Malachi 3 in the Old Testament. God, through the prophet Malachi, says, Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So we see that God, in this instance here, he connects the flow of his people's provision with their willingness to give their financial gifts to the upkeep of the temple. He says, if you will simply begin to give as you know you should, then I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing to meet all of your needs. Jumping ahead to the New Testament, Luke 6, 38, Jesus himself says this. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured or put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, I know that in a gospel-centered church, we're resistant to any hint of false prosperity gospel, as we should be. But this, friends, is just regular biblical gospel, okay? Our willingness to be generous when rightly motivated prompts the continued generosity of God to us. But it's important that we read this last text to fully understand how this works. 2 Corinthians 9, again, let's come back to verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, pay attention to that part, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So hopefully this helps with the tongue twister point <laughs> put in your notes today that the Lord promises to continue blessing those who use their blessings to be a blessing. We, we need to understand this because this is actually what distinguishes prosperity gospel, right? The, the, it distinguishes from the prosperity gospel that says, you know, you often use this language, if we sow a seed, right? We sow a seed that God will make us healthy and wealthy, right? 
That's not what the text says, is it? <laughs> Just read the text. No. It says that if understanding the gospel, we're generous for the sake of the gospel message going forward to others, then the Lord will continue to pour out that we might continue the same way of generous living. Okay? Here's a little phrase I find helpful. We don't give to get. That's prosperity gospel. Okay. We don't give to get. We get to give. We get to give. As we pour out, the Lord pours in that we might continue pouring out. Okay. This is how the Bible tells us that it works. And this, I think, this is a great defense against the fear that some people have initially when it comes to financial giving. Right? They think, you know, maybe, maybe you think, I don't know, I give 5%, 10% or more to the mission of the church. How will I live? How will I have what I need? <laughs> Scripture tells us the answer. It's God math. It's God math. Better to live with 90% in the blessing of God than 100 without the blessing of God. Because whatever we determine to give away cheerfully and regularly for the advancement of the gospel, God makes the rest work. He makes it work for what we need, right? Now, maybe that sounds mystical or whatever. So let's just see. If, if, don't be shy, if you've made a commitment to be generous to the mission of Jesus' church, right, to the advancement of the gospel in your life, if you've done that, we just raise your hand? We're not talking amounts, we're just talking, you've decided to be generous to the mission of the church. Nobody. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, now keep your hand up. It's okay. Keep your hand up. It's okay. Okay. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. All right. To those who give generously, so you've got your hand like this because you're shy or you're scared or whatever, I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> loud and proud, okay. To those who give generously, you've got your hand up. The Lord has ever left you in the lurch. That is, if he's ever allowed you to give generously and then not have what you needed, put your hand down. There's more hands up. They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to have my hand down. Yeah. yeah, they're like, I better not say you did. No, exactly. So no hands went down. Okay, put your hands down. <laughs> it's participatory, all right? You're like, not going back to that church. <laughs> Pastor makes us do stuff anyway. Okay. All right, one more time. Now, if, if, you, if you've ever experienced crazy, we'll just call them coincidences, financially, where you gave in faith, it wasn't an equation or something, but you gave in faith. Somehow, after that, God provided in some previously unforeseen way. You had no idea. Raise your hand. That's, has that happened? My goodness, more hands than before. Okay, put your hands down. I thought so. I thought that would be the answer. Because the Lord, you see, if you didn't raise your hand, you saw from the hands the Lord keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And Malachi, he even says, test me and see if I won't come through for you. Test me. That's a bold claim. And he always makes good on it. He always makes good on it. The Lord promises to continue blessing those who use their blessings to be a blessing. And this concludes my talk on why missional measure number three is giving cheerfully and regularly to the mission of the church. No more weird participation stuff, okay? We do it. We do it because Jesus gave everything to adopt us into his family. 
That's also why we do it cheerfully. And we're to give regularly as we may prosper, as 1 Corinthians 16 says, or in keeping with our income is one way to say that, right? Because the need abounds. There are so many who still need to hear this gospel. And because God promises to keep blessing us if we determine to be a gospel blessing. So I'll close with this. I told you at the start that I would tell some people not to give. Here's why. Ultimately, the Hub City Church believes that no one should give their money as an offering who doesn't want to or understand why the gospel implicates it, but that those who claim union with Christ have a faith that overcomes those boundaries. Okay, those hurdles, sorry. So if you're sitting here today, and, and, and you just can't help but think after this sermon, ugh, I cannot believe a pastor would presume to tell people what to do with their money. Don't give. Don't give. It's that simple. If you don't want to give, don't give. Please don't give. We're not here to guilt anybody or scare anybody or manipulate anybody. We're here to call genuine believers to the multifaceted obediences of faith, okay? One of which is financial generosity, all right? But if you don't want to or you don't get it, right? Like you don't understand how the gospel has anything to do with what you should do with your money, please, you have the encouragement of this pastor, okay? You have my encouragement. Just like I tell people not to come up and take the Lord's Supper if they're not Christians. These things are for people who are in Christ, in Christ. And if you don't want to give for the sake of the mission, or you don't understand the gospel, you're probably not in Christ. You're probably not in Christ. And thus, I don't say that to be mean, thus, we would just ask you to con continue considering the claims of Jesus, of his lordship, of his life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection. We genuinely want you we want you to cherish and treasure Jesus and what he has given to you before you ever think you need to give something to him. Okay? Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if you haven't come to a place of genuine faith, like you haven't come to a place where Jesus is Lord and God to you, don't give begrudging offerings. Don't give begrudging offerings. It's not doing anything for you. I mean, we'll, we'll use your money to the glory of God. You know, if you want to you give it, you know, we'll use it. We'll use it to the glory of God. But until the glory of God is what you want, friend, just keep it for yourself. Okay? I mean it. But if you are a believer in Christ, I sincerely hope this message encourages you to either begin to give or to continue to give or to grow in giving generously to the church for the advancement of the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 6 says, as for the rich, that's us, okay? That's not clear. Um, we are rich in this world. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves 
as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But we're going to do one last thing in reverse today. Okay, uh, We're going to have our time of worship through giving now, after the sermon, instead of like we normally do it before the sermon. And uh, that's for a couple reasons. We're not going to do this every week, but this week, here's the reasons why. Um, number one, it would have been weird to give an offering talk before I got up here and did like a 50-minute offering talk, okay? So we're like, you know, that's, that's strange. <laughs> uh, that's, that's one reason. But also, we just want you to have the opportunity to give today with the full consideration and remembrance of why we give. Why we give. Even if you don't give in the buckets this morning, that's okay. I know a lot of us give online at this point, and we, we do that, but... Just take this opportunity as the bucket goes by to remember why we pass it. Why we pass it, okay? Because Jesus gave everything for us. So we all collectively give a, a little bit back according to our means each week for the sake of advancing his kingdom, right? Okay, let's pray. Gracious Father, God, we, we, we thank you so much for the many blessings of life. We thank you most for Jesus. God, thanks for the gospel that you have made abundantly clear. And thank you that how we're to treat money and how we're to give it, God, in a way that you want us to, it's, it's clear. It's clear in Scripture. We thank you for that. And God, we, we thank you that we get, we get to be a part of your mission in this world through the giving of our resources, God. I pray that everyone who gives this morning, God, they wouldn't give because they're fearful. They wouldn't give because they're trying to earn righteousness with you. God, they're trying, if they're doing that, we know they're trying to earn something that can't be earned, that's been given as a free gift through faith in Christ, through his grace alone. So I pray there wouldn't be any grudge givers in here or guilt givers in here trying to make up for what they think they haven't done. I pray that people give in this church, Father. If we give, we give because we want to. Because we want to be a part of more and more people coming to know and love Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in his name.